Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. My, my message today is really simple, and it's from a very well-known text in the Bible, but if I had to put a, a title on it, I would call it, Keep Your Eyes on Jesus and the Joy Ahead This Year. Keep Your Eyes on Jesus and the Joy Ahead This Year. We're going to read today from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. If you are a person who likes to look on in your own Bible, you can do that. Hebrews is way toward the back of the Bible, so you can go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We're going to look at the first two verses. We're going to read the first version out loud together. I, I felt like we needed to start the year by reading Scripture together out loud. So get your lungs warmed up. And get yourselves ready. And then we're going to look at the message paraphrase of the same section. But we're going to read out loud today Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 in the Christian Standard Bible. So verse 1's up there. Get ready. <clears throat> Warm up your lungs. Here we go. On three, one, two, three. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't it good to read the Bible? Now look at this same section in the message. Now I just want to tell you a little bit about the message. The message is a paraphrase, and, and a paraphrase is not a direct translation, and it's from an individual named Eugene Peterson. So it's not, it's not what you would call an accurate translation, but what Eugene Peterson does is he captures by paraphrasing the original languages of Hebrew and Greek that the Bible were written in, he captures many times emotional things that, that we miss when we read the Scriptures. So this is a paraphrase, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 in the message, and I'm just going to read it to you, and it'll be up here as well. Check this out. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he began and finished. Whoops. He never lost sight where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. Amen? Amen? So if you're a note taker and you are taking notes, my first point today from the text of Scripture we just read is simply this. Remember those who have gone before you. Remember those who have gone before you. And this is really a message coming into this new year. And, and there's a principle that we see throughout Scripture, and it's simply this. In order for us to move forward, we often have to start by looking back. We have to see where we've come from 
to know where we're going. We have to have a sense of our own heritage and identity, our spiritual DNA, to be able to chart the course for what's in front of us. And we see this throughout the Bible. The Bible says, behold, I do a new thing in Isaiah 43. But then Jeremiah tells us, go and stand out on the path and look at the ancient path and and ask for that way to walk in it. So we see throughout the Bible this idea of looking back so we can look forward. This idea over and over again that it's necessary for us to understand what's behind us if we're going to chart a course for what's in front of us. And it's really important that you look back because I'm going to tell you, some of you had a year. 2022 was either a year of life-changing, you know, new adventures and new relationships and new jobs and career, you know, career decisions, or maybe it was a year of loss and incredible pain and suffering, and maybe it was a mixed bag. That's how it is in most of our lives, right? And we have lessons to learn. And it's really sad when people don't have the ability to look back and learn from what's behind them. And it's really sad when people don't have the ability to look around at those who have already gone there, those who have been your patterns, those who have been the mentors that you look up to. It's really sad when we lose the ability to recognize the people in our life who have done it right. And I'm going to tell you one of the big tragedies of the time that we live is that we don't value the generations that go before us. We mock them, we make fun of them, we laugh at old people, right? That's what we do in this society. We have comedy sketches about that all the time. We have a good time laughing at the very people who can show us the way, right? We, we pride ourselves so much on being progressive and understanding the future and knowing what, what is coming and, and disconnecting and cutting ourselves off from those who've gone before us. And so my first lesson, I guess, from the text is, remember those who've gone before you. Listen to what the message says. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. I'm going to give you an example of a couple of them. We're going to look at Abraham, but then I want to talk to you about the people in your own life. Look at Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, and you'll see 13 and 14 and verse 16. This is what it says about Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Wow. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Those were his sons and grandson co-heirs of the same promise. Look at this, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect, architect and builder is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. 
You know, in the Bible and in our own world, in our own lives, there are people who've blazed a trail to follow. There are people that God will bring across your path who show you the way. And I, my, one of my challenges for you this year is that you find the people who've walked with God through thick and thin, who've maintained a joyous faith. We have many examples in the Bible, but one of the things I see often with God's people is we don't have the ability to see them as real people. You ever notice sometimes when you read your Bible, you're like, well, that was a Bible character. So, you know, of course, they're, they're different. No, they're not. They're just like you and I. But even if you can't look at the Scripture and you can't find people that you can look to who've gone before you and have already done it well and right, look around in your own life for people who've walked with God. And here's something I do. I look for people who've walked with God for a long time and aren't bitter, aren't cynical, aren't jaded, aren't negative. I'm not talking that they walk around with some kind of fake plastic little sugar-coated smile about life. I don't mean that. I don't mean they don't walk with a limp. Maybe they do walk with a limp. Maybe they've experienced great suffering and pain, but you get around them and there's still a sweetness. There's still a faith. In their mind, God is still good. God's still wise. They don't understand what's happened. They don't understand the breaking and the shattering that's happened around them. But when you get up close to them, and you kind of squeeze their life a little bit, this bitterness doesn't come out. A sweetness comes out. I look for people like that, and I've had many of them in my life. I remember when Peggy and I were first married, and, you know, we both came out of a lot of confusion, a lot of back, a lot of brokenness in our family background. I didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know how to be a Christian. We started praying. God, put some older people in our life. Please put some sages, some wise ones, put some people who've done this longer than we've done. Put some people in our lives who have raised their families and their children so we can watch them and ask them questions and learn. And he was so faithful. We couldn't have done it without those people. Those people provided patterns for us, blueprints for us. There's a number of men in my life, David and Dorothy Minor, Sandy Minor, Right here in our church, Jerry and Lorraine Benson, I've watched them for years and years. And, you know, one couple I thought of this morning as I prepared this message was Ray and Cece Huber. I've watched you guys for a long time now. And you've walked through some of the darkest valleys of anybody that I know. But you're still sweet. You still got a lot of Jesus coming out of you. You're still, you got the fire. And there's still some, sometimes I've seen you get pissed off. Is that okay to say pissed off in church? Okay. But you have held on to Jesus and you haven't let go. And you've been an incredible example, both of you as a couple the way you've held on to Jesus, the way you've held on to each other, the way you've held on to your family and the body of Christ. Thank you. Thank you for being an example. I look up to you. I truly do. I think of, I've told you the story. She's a lady that's not here right now, but there's a woman named Olive Goyer. How many of you know Olive? A number of you do. 
I just saw Olive recently, and um, you know, I, I, I've walked with Olive for a long time. She's in her late 80s now. I think she's getting pretty close to the end of her race. She knows it, and she's okay with it. But I was talking to her recently, and you know, she just, she reminded me that it's possible for someone to continue to learn and grow. And the old, you, know, you ever been around some people that get older and they get kind of mean and they lose their sweetness? And even though they're Christians, they kind of, you get up next to them and it's like, ooh, whoa, sorry, you know. But then you get around others and it's just like, in Olive's case, she's getting younger internally. And what I mean is what Paul said, though my outward man perishes, my inward man is renewed day by day. It's possible to walk with God and become more childlike the longer you walk with Him. But it's sad in the world that we live in because our world almost esteems cynicism. You're almost on the inside if you don't trust anything, anyone, if you're just, and if you're negative about everything and you believe there's always some kind of evil thing behind every motive and you're always looking at people in the world through that kind of a mindset, that's almost esteemed in our culture. We almost look up to people like that, like that's some kind of wisdom. It's not wisdom. Being around people that are just kind of hard and bitter and cynical and don't trust anything or anyone, there's nothing edifying about that. There's nothing that makes me want to run toward Jesus when I'm around that. But I look for people who stay loving and sweet. And I'm not saying they're like, duh, whatever will be, will be. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, you, you know, you, you stay wise and you're alert, but you're not cynical. You're not dark. Brr. Okay. I need to move on here. These pioneers of our faith had eyes to see God's promises and receive them by faith. The text that I just read, did you notice it says this of Abraham and his son and grandson? It says this of them. Verse 10 says he was looking forward. Verse 13 says they saw them from a distance. Verse 14 says they are seeking a homeland. And verse 16 says they now desire a better place. See, because we live in a dark and painful world at times, we must develop eyes to see another world. We must understand that this is not all there is. Did you hear me? The present world is passing away, John tells us, with all of its systems and all of its evil. We belong to another world that is presently invading our earth with God's kingdom. One day, heaven's kingdom will engulf all of creation and destroy and displace evil. We must live with that hope or we will become cynical, negative, and bitter. We must see with a new set of eyes. And I'm telling you, that is so important. If you're a Christian, if you don't learn to develop the ability to see the invisible... 
If you don't learn to live with the ability to see that there's something beyond what you can see, that if all you can see is what is material, what's in front of your eyes, what you call solid, which is actually passing away, if you live with the fact that your hope is set in this present world and this present age, and I'm not talking about pie in the sky, gonna go to heaven when I die mentality. I'm talking about living right now with a reality that there is something greater that is beyond the here and the now and in this world where there's death and sorrow and pain and loss and war and poverty where all of those things exist there's another world that is coming there's another world that is growing and there's another world that will one day displace everything and it will fill heaven and earth with itself and every cursed molecule will be restored and renewed and we live with that in our sights and we are able to see it and we are able to live as though it's real right now. If you don't learn to develop those eyes, you'll become a jaded, bitter Christian. In fact, you'll probably quit walking with the Lord. I've seen it again and again. You have to develop the ability to see that which is unseen. One of the most prolific songwriters in the history of Christianity was Fanny Crosby. She wrote over 9,000 songs, most of them worship. She was blinded in both of her eyes at six weeks of age through a medical error. However, she could still visualize the beauty of Christ's blessings, often with more clarity than those who had sight. As a result, it's been noted that in many of her hymns, this visually impaired lady quite amazingly spoke about sight Here are some examples. In her song, Blessed Assurance, how many of you know that song? Blessed Assurance, she wrote that. This is what it says in Blessed Assurance. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. And she's not talking about the rapture as in the catching away, the rapture of seeing him and looking on his beauty. Watching and waiting, looking above. A blind woman wrote this. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. See, she developed the ability to see unseen things, though she was blind. She saw them more clearly than those who have sight. And that's what all of us have to do. We have to develop the ability to see what's unseen. Because if you don't develop that in your life, this world will overwhelm you. It will overwhelm you and break you and shatter you and tear you down. If all you can see is what you can see out there, over time, it'll wear you out. Because it's too sad. It's too dark. Unless you can see something else behind it. Unless you can see the handiwork of a God who's kind and good, who's a God of grace and mercy and who's remaking everything, who's taking and taking the ashes and bringing beauty out of them and taking tombs and emptying them. If you don't live with a vision of the resurrection God, you'll become cynical and dark. These pioneers knew that God was good and had prepared good things in their future. Hebrews 11.6 says, now without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you live with that view of God? Are you always waiting for the other shoe to drop? 
If, if things start to go kind of well in your life, you're like, okay, well, I don't want to get too hopeful. It's all about to turn real dark because I'm going to tell you that's a terrible way to live. The problem with that way of living is you don't learn to enjoy and be in this moment that God has given you and the gifts that he's given you. You can't milk them for all they're worth because yes, dark days will come and pain will come and loss will come. Welcome to being human. Welcome to this planet. Everybody's going to suffer. You just might as well be ready for it. You're going to suffer, but you can't live like, is it coming tomorrow? Is it coming in the next 15 minutes? Is it coming in 2023? What's ahead? Oh no, you have to live like God I have today. I have right now. You've blessed me with this moment, with this second. How can I milk everything out of what is presently in front of me for your glory and for your kingdom? Amen. Secondly, <laughs> I have three points, and that was the end of point number one. Okay. <laughs> number two, renounce and lay aside those things that ensnare you. What does the end of verse one say in chapter 12? There it says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. ESV says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's look at those two concepts, hindrances and weights and sins that cling and ensnare. Let's lay aside every hindrance and weight. This Greek word for hindrance or weight doesn't mean something bad or evil. It simply speaks of those things which hinder our ability to walk close to Jesus and fulfill what he's created us for. What kinds of habits, both good and bad, keep us from running with God? You know, Greco-Roman runners ran naked. Now, some of you right now are having a hard time getting that picture out of your mind. <laughs> they ran naked, literally, completely naked. They saw everything that weighed them down or produced any kind of drag as a hindrance to running well. And that's the picture that Paul, or excuse me, that the writer of Hebrews is writing about here. The writer of Hebrews is talking about this idea that there'll be nothing hindering our ability to run, right? Some of us just, we have things in our lives that they're, they're good, but they're not the best. They're good, but they're not God. And they're sucking our resources, our virtue, and our life out of us. They're not evil. They're just wasteful, and they're keeping us from fulfilling our potential. Or Paul says, let us lay aside every sin that clings and ensnares us. And I, I love the language there, clings and ensnares, because that's what sin does. You can see in the Psalms, David writes in one Psalm in particular, he talks about how the cords of sin, the cords of iniquity reached up and entangled themselves like round my leg. And he's crying out, God, free me from these entangling, ensnaring, clinging sins. Now, all of us in this room know about that, don't we? Right? Some things are sinful. The Greek word here is hamartia, which means to miss the mark like an archer or to wander off the course. Imagine a runner who leaves his or her lane or the track altogether. If a course correction isn't made, the runner can never finish the race because they haven't competed according to the rules. 
Some things may not seem like a big deal, but they're keeping you from staying on your course to follow Jesus. You know what I felt like we needed to do? Because as I'm talking, and I, I know the faithfulness of God, I know the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking, I'm sharing from the text, I'm explaining what it is, but at the time I'm doing that, the Holy Spirit, as He broods over us and works in us, right now, He's kind of putting His finger, and there are a number of you in this room, thoughts are coming up in your mind, and you're like, oh yeah, like that, and like that, and like that, and and I, I just think it would be really good to stop right now and pray, and let's start out our year by bringing the hindrances the weights, and the sins that cling to and ensnare us. Because I have them. I have them. I have so many areas in my life where I know I'm not living fully as I'm created to live because I'm so distracted. And I know they're keeping me from becoming the man that God fully wants me to be. And they grieve my heart, and they frustrate me, and I beat myself up, and then I do it again. And some of you have the same stuff, right? And, and it's good to practice confession. It's good to bring that stuff before God, to get it out before Him and to say, Lord, will you help me this year to renounce and lay aside those things and to get rid of the sin that's clinging and ensnaring me? So let's do something right here, right now. If you are the kind of person who likes to pray with your eyes open, keep your eyes open. If not, if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. But let's do business with God. Let's take about a minute and let's bring the things before Him that are keeping us from fully walking in what God wants us to walk in. Can we do that? Let's practice this together. And that takes me to my last point. Refocus your eyes on Jesus and the joy ahead. That's where we're going to end today. Listen to what it says in verse 2. It says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love that language. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, the message paraphrase: Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. You see, we're to Keep our eyes on Jesus because he provides the pattern, but also because he's already gone there. So he's paved a way. He's removed barriers. And if we'll focus on looking at him, he will cause us to finish. <clears throat> you keep your eyes on Jesus. What does that mean? This Greek phrase, and I thought this was powerful. What, is, is Richard Polk in here? Where are you at, Richard? Are you in here? Okay, hey, Richard, I, can't, I can barely see you. So, you know, Dominic was talking about what you posted, and that's exactly what this Greek word means. This Greek phrase here means to turn your eyes from one thing to look at something else. To keep our eyes on Jesus, we have to turn away from so many other things that are yelling for us to pay attention to them. 
What are some of the ways we can be intentional about looking at Jesus? I have three that I want to submit to you very quickly. These are three things you can do this year to begin to look upon Jesus because they'll really help you. These are very practical. First thing is this, find a mentor, a coach, a spiritual director, whatever you want to call it, find someone to help you keep your eyes on Jesus. This is one thing you can do this year that could truly change your life like nothing else. You don't know as much about walking with God as you think you do. I'm just going to say it straight up. Most of us in this room are novices when it comes to walking with Jesus. We're clueless because we bought this lie that it's between me and Jesus. And we don't realize that there's no other discipline in all of creation. No matter what you do, you cannot become good. You cannot master anything if you don't have mentors and coaches and directors and people in your life who are further down the road than you are and can show you the way. And it's our fierce independence and individualism that's hindering us from growing up in Jesus Christ. And that's why we can know people who've walked with Christ for 30, 40, or 50 years and are infants in their faith. They've never grown up. They've never moved on. They've never become deeper in God. And the reason they've never grown is because they've never had anyone else help them or show them the way. Get a mentor. Get a coach. Get a spiritual director. Get somebody in your life who knows more than you do. It's really helpful. The people in my life like that, have, have, they've changed my life. Thank God for the spiritual coaches that have helped me grow. Secondly, make it your goal to learn to read Scripture and pray to keep your eyes on Jesus. This too will change your life, but it may take a coach to teach you how to do this and challenge you. Learn to read and pray. You know, I, I think one of the greatest goals you could set for your life this year is if you actually learned how to regularly spend time reading Scripture, praying Scripture, talking to God, getting others to help you in that process. Because it's hard. I'm going to tell you, like, if you think prayer is a natural language of a spiritually reborn child. But if you're going to grow over a long period of time, language has to increase. It has to grow. You, you grow deeper in it. You become more articulate in the language of heaven. When you first start out as a new believer, you, you talk to God as a child would, as a baby would, and that's normal. But as you grow, you have to grow up even in your language with God and in your knowledge of God. And you need others who are further down the road. So my challenge to you is get a mentor and get somebody to help you know how to read and pray and know scripture and know how to walk with God. Amen. And then this last one, very, very simple, practice serving others in the church and in the community to discover what you're gifted to do. A lot of people don't see this as a way of keeping their eyes on Jesus, but I want you to think about something. Discovering your gifts, talents, and abilities by serving others can help you stay focused on Jesus because you'll be helping others and doing what you've been created to do by Him. In serving others, we serve Jesus. In doing what we're gifted to do, Jesus is living out His life through us. There's something that happens to human beings when they begin to function in the giftedness and the abilities that God has given them. And so you're here today and you say, but I don't know what those are. Do you know how you discover what you're good at? you start doing stuff you're not good at. Do you know how you grow and really discover the things that are touched by grace? You find ways to get your hand busy doing something. 
And as you serve others and help others, you'll come upon certain things that you do when you touch them. You go, ooh, that was life-giving. When I did that, I had joy. When I did that, I had pleasure. And I was really good at it. And if you already know what you're gifted and you're able to do and what your talents and natural God-given abilities are, then it's up to you to begin to find ways to put those things into practice. And here's what's cool. I had this happen just the other day, you know. I'm going to be honest with you. These last few weeks of me being home are driving me out of my mind. <laughs> like, I am not created to sit around and I can only take so much Netflix. <laughs> right? I can only watch so many sports. I'm just like, help me, God. And I was feeling kind of down. And I had an opportunity over the holidays to sit with someone that's beloved to me. And one evening as we were talking, I realized God's here. And I was speaking life into him. And I knew it was him. And we, we, all, we all felt it. There was a change in the room. When you walk into the room, everything changes. And Jesus came into the room and you just felt, oh, the Lord's here. And I could feel things flowing out of me and I knew, oh, I'm in a God moment. And you could see it was hitting their mind and their heart and God was speaking to him. I could see him lift. And by the end of that conversation, we were all aware that was the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what happened to me. I went from being like, oh man, to oh, thank you, Lord, for reminding me. I've been created by you for you to pour through me for the sake of other people. And when I do that, you're in the room and I can see you working all around me. Some of you need to be reminded that when you love other people and you serve other people and you get busy doing what you've been created to do, that's when the life is going to come. Amen? Amen? I truly am almost done. So Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Think about this. This is so encouraging. As you make it, think about how simple this is and yet difficult, right? As you make it your determined goal to keep your eyes on Jesus, he will take on the work of starting, pioneering, completing, and perfecting your faith. He will sustain you. He will cause your faith to grow, mature, develop, and become something that others can look at for inspiration. See, Jesus' death on the cross made the beginning of faith possible. When Jesus died for us, he made the way into God's presence. He made us one with God. He made heaven possible. Because he died for us, we can have faith and be part of God's family. He, he starts us. He's the pioneer at the cross. But in his resurrection, he's the one who completes. He's the one, because he rose from the dead, we know that our faith will be completed. And we know that the one who ultimately beat death, Jesus, will also beat death in our life and bring life. We know that the one who started a work in us will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. We know that he who begins always completes. We know our job is to look to him. If we'll keep our focus on him and learn to walk with him this year, he will be sure that we grow from within. As we abide, life will come, fruit will grow, and we'll become the men and women that he wants us to be. Amen? See, the joy will be before you will empower you to endure whatever cross lies ahead. 
I want to tell you something. I think some really hard stuff could be coming in our world this year. We had hard stuff last year and the year before that and the year before that. So that's the reality of living on this planet. But things could get pretty shaky this year. Things could rock and roll a bit. And yet, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What's the joy? What was the joy set before him? A number of things. He was going to be back with his father. He was going to conquer death, right? He was going to return to glory alongside his father. But you know what else was the joy set before him? You. A bride, a body, a church, a people. And I'm going to tell you, whatever cross you might be enduring, whatever pain you might be walking through, whatever this year might present before you, there's a joy on the other side of it. There's something beautiful and profound that not even death can steal. For the joy that set before him, Jesus endured the cross, the shame, the pain. See, this year, in some ways, we're all going to experience some kind of common suffering. In other ways, we're going to have a unique path of pain, of pleasure, of triumph, or tragedy. We don't know. But Jesus endured the suffering of the cross because he could see the joy of the resurrection. He could see heaven, his Father, the Holy Spirit, and all of us who would become his bride. Remember the joy in front of you. Whatever you're walking through isn't the end of the story. The last chapter hasn't been written. Your story doesn't say the end yet. There's a lot more in front of you. Look, if someone in this room dies this year, if this is the end of your journey, if you cross over into eternity and this is the end of your journey, that, that's triumph in Christ. You're with Him. Right? We know that God's faithful. This is a year to, to look ahead and say, what joy do you have before us, Lord? Help us to keep our eyes. Give us eyes to see the invisible. Amen.